everybody, and welcome back to the Movement Fluidity Podcast. Here we are uncovering the keys to athleticism and pain-free living by exploring the science behind fluid and efficient movement. Today we've got a pretty awesome episode. We will be exploring neuroplasticity, and this is essentially how the brain has an ability to change. The brain can be thought of as plastic, and you can mold it and change it and shape it to how you want to depending on actions and lifestyle choices. The word plasticity in this context means the ability for the brain to form new synaptic connections. When neurons communicate with each other and create neural pathways, they connect via synaptic connections. A synapse is the structure that allows nerve cells or neurons to pass electrical or chemical signals to another neuron. This is usually from different neuromodulators. You've probably heard of dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, epinephrine, different things like this. They are passed from neuron to neuron by the synapse. This is what connects different nerve cells. It has been estimated that there are about 86 billion, with a B, neurons in the brain. This is pretty incredible. And communication through all these different neurons is made possible by this synapse. Some areas of the brain and some neural circuits can be considered hardwired, but most of them have the ability to change. There's a lot of new technology that can show different increases or decreases in activity in a certain brain area. And it's proven that these areas can even grow in size. So when the connections are formed, new connections, the brain actually is similar to a muscle in that sense where it increases in overall size and mass. One of the most famous sayings in neuroscience is that neurons that fire together, wire together. This essentially means that when a circuit of neurons fires in a certain order, the stronger that circuit will become. It's essentially saying that practice makes perfect. So in any sport, everybody knows that repetition increases success, whether it's basketball, uh, shooting a free throw, the more repetitions you get in this, the better you get. It's because you're grooving that neural circuit and you are decreasing what's called noise in the system that is other pathways firing to take you away from the desired outcome of making that basket in the free throw. The other important rule that comes to mind is the use it or lose it rule. When synapses are frequently used, they are strengthened. When they are not used, they decrease in strength and can atrophy and even become completely extinct over time. So back on the free throw analogy, even if you practiced free throws for a thousand times every day, this would become very proficient immediately. But if you went two years without practicing this, your free throw game probably wouldn't be that great. And I think most people intuitively understand this, but actually hearing the science behind it does start to make a little more sense. 
There are a few common misconceptions about neuroplasticity that I know I fell into as a kid. One of these is that you are born with a certain level of intelligence and that your IQ is fixed. A lot of teachers and people growing up thought this was the case because neuroscience wasn't a field that had explored this topic yet. So we thought that as a kid, you can change your brain, but pretty much what you have is what you're stuck with. And everyone knew you could maybe get a little smarter through general education, but general knowledge through an IQ test was thought to be a fixed form. Another misconception that I just touched on a little bit is that the brain can only change as a kid. And this is still true to some extent. It has been found that neuroplasticity is most rapid as a child. And as you get older, the ability to create new neural pathways decreases. And there is a significant drop off around age 25 where the prefrontal cortex has completed its growth. But there's been studies even into people's 90s where they are showing dramatic changes and neuroplasticity. This proves that anyone can change their brain if they want to. Nobody has an excuse. You can always make a change for the better if that is your intention. The next analogy that I'd like to bring up that made a lot of sense for me is brought to us by Dr. Alvaro Pascual Leon, and I might be pronouncing that name wrong, but he has been a professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School and has done some pretty amazing things in the field of neuroscience. Here is a quote that should make this concept start to make a little more sense. The plastic brain is like a snowy hill in winter. Aspects of that hill, the slope, the rocks, the consistency of the snow are like our genes, a given. When we slide down on a sled, we can steer it and we will end up at the bottom of the hill by following a path determined by both how we steer it and the characteristics of the hill. Where exactly we end up is hard to predict because there are so many factors in play. If you were in this situation where it's a winter day and you're sledding, you go down one track and you start to make this little bit of a pave in the snow and the more you do it, the more grooved this path becomes. It's easiest to follow the same path because it's going to be less bumpy and the path will essentially mold to the sled that is going down. This is how we get into a rut of being stuck in the same patterns, which from my experience make life feel very repetitive and boring. This can be in the sense of different ways of thinking, ways of interacting with people, and in my sense for movement fluidity, overall movement patterns. The longer in these patterns, the harder it is to break. Because if you just did a few runs down that sledding trail, the path would start to become grooved. But if you did the same thing in heavy snowfalls for 50 or more years, 
such as some people do with their thought patterns, that is going to become extremely ingrained and much harder to break. Back to those neurochemicals or the neuromodulators that are released. This can be thought of as strengthening or weakening the neural connections. All of the inputs in your brain are competing for space. You can't add new connections without removing something else. Okay, now that we have a basic understanding of what neuroplasticity is, let's get into how we can change our brain for rapid plasticity. Whether this is for studying for an exam or learning a new language or learning a new movement pattern, these things can be applied for all of the above. If there is one concept to understand about neuroplasticity, it would be what I'm about to say. The nervous system acts as a seesaw from the sympathetic or the fight or flight nervous system to the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest aspect. When it comes to neuroplasticity, we need to access both of these nervous systems. One, you need to get alert and focused, and two, you need to rest. Getting alert pretty much means releasing adrenaline. This can be done through a few different ways, such as drinking coffee, doing rapid breathing like Wim Hof, and even focusing the eyes on something. Whatever you need to do to get yourself in a state where you are alert and focused will put your brain in the state where it is ready to learn. The next part is the rest aspect. This can be done through naps or sleep at night or even what's called a non-sleep deep rest protocol, which I have gotten from Andrew Huberman over at the Huberman lab, who's done a lot of work on neuroplasticity. These deep restful states enhance the rate and the depth of the learning because when you are alert and focused, you are ramping up the nervous system. You are firing those new pathways, but then for those to stick, you have to get into this deep rest so that the connections can be solidified. Now I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about how we can rewire the brain in terms of movement. In my first episode, I talked a little bit about upper and lower motor neurons. A quick refresher here, the upper motor neurons are the ones that originate in the brain and go down into the spinal cord, while the lower motor neurons begin in the spinal cord and then innervate the muscles throughout the body. When these circuits are fired enough times and with enough accuracy, these circuits are carried over to what is called a central pattern generator. These are circuits that produce rhythmic motions, things that happen very often, such as breathing or walking. Most people don't think about these things because they have been able to walk and breathe normally and effectively since they were a kid. But in my case, 
I've had to think about walking because I want to improve my gait. Instead of these central pattern generators taking over how I walk, I am using the top-down processing and the upper motor neurons to create new pathways in walking. This is the same thing that can be applied in any sport where you want to use those upper motor neurons to create the new pathways for things that you want. Now, after I understood this concept, I still wasn't making the progress that I wanted to. So my next question was, how do you open up this window for plasticity in motor movements? And I found a few great tips also from the Huberman lab. The first one is to create mismatches or errors in the way that we perform movements. This is what triggers those neurochemicals to signal the circuits that they have to change. If you were just doing the same task over and over and you weren't having any variability in the movement, there would be no need for the brain to realize that a change needs to happen. These send signals to the brain that something is wrong and something is different. Therefore, the brain will reorganize itself to make the necessary change. Humans who like making errors are the ones that change the most because they are not afraid of a few repetitions of failure because they can often understand that this is what it takes to get the long lasting change. If you are a tennis player and you want to hit the ball harder, every forehand you hit is accurate but not very powerful. If you repeat the form that you've been using forever, you will never make a change. But for example, if you put your hips into it more or you rotated your core back to a greater degree before you hit the shot, this is going to start out with more errors. You're probably going to hit the ball long and lose some other mechanical cues along the way. But it's going to wake the brain up and show it that this person is trying to make a change and trying to improve whatever it is. Rewiring the brain in any sense requires the feeling of some sort of agitation. This can be thought of as the gate or the entry point to get you into the state of learning. It takes a lot of resources for our brain to change. It is not something that just happens without thinking about it. So you need to make sure that you are feeling some sort of agitation and some resistance when you are trying to learn. Another important aspect to mention is how mindfulness plays a huge role in changing the brain. If you're someone who often just goes through the motions and does not realize what is happening often throughout the day, it may be harder to change your brain. You need to be aware and in the moment to make these changes. Being aware of the breath is the number one thing that helps me with being mindful, especially when I am trying to make a certain change to my nervous system. This is great in any part of the neuroplasticity process. When you wanna be alert, again, it is great to have the rapid breathing to increase adrenaline, but still being mindful of doing that rapid breathing 
will keep you in the moment. Then when you flip the switch and go into that rest and repair part of the nervous system, having slow exhales and soft, deep breathing will turn on that parasympathetic nervous system even more. If there was one form of exercise that is proven to increase neuroplasticity, it would be aerobic exercise. This is going to increase the blood supply to the brain, especially an area called the hippocampus, which is the place for long-term memory. If you're doing all this work with ramping the nervous system up, learning, and then resting, you want to have that adequate blood flow in the area of the brain that is going to store these memories as long-term memories. My personal experience with trying to change my brain and improving the plastic function is mainly with movement patterns such as running, walking, and playing sports like tennis. What I'm trying to do is change the function of these neural connections. Since my muscles are overtight and overactive, I need to switch from one neurochemical to another. These muscles that are overcontracted have too much of the excitatory chemical, acetylcholine, and not enough of the inhibitory one of GABA. This means that I often put my brain into a state of potential growth from the tools that I mentioned before, then make the physical changes necessary to re relax certain muscles, then move with these changes and groove these connections, ideally move them from the upper motor neurons to the central pattern generators, and then rest and recover just as hard and plan out just as much time, if not more, to completely relax after any learning bout. This is going to let these new circuits form into the long-lasting memories, which then can be accessed in the future. I have always been a big fan of supplementation, so this podcast would not be complete without explaining the different supplements that I have found to help improve neuroplasticity. I want to mention that I am most definitely not a medical doctor, so I could not prescribe anything. I'm just going to give you guys what has worked for me, and you can make the decision on what you want to use for yourself. First of all, creatine monohydrate is well known in the strength training and bodybuilding world for the improvements in power and size and strength. This substance actually can help the brain as well. It increases the availability of energy for your brain cells to improve short-term memory and also reasoning skills. I take five grams a day, typically right before my workout. And this is not because of the muscular benefits, but because of the neural benefits. Next, lion's mane mushroom. I have taken this for a few years now, and I have even started to experiment with taking it before bed. What this does is it has the potential to promote brain health by the stimulation of what's called BDNF, 
brain-derived nootropic factor. What this does is it puts the brain in a state where the production of new cells and new connections can be stimulated to a greater degree. Finally, nootropics are the next one I want to touch on. And this includes coffee, caffeine, and all of the different nootropics out there, alpha GPC, alpha brain, all of the, there's countless amounts of nootropics out there. And it's important to do your research because there are a lot of ones that are not great. What they all do essentially as a group is they increase blood flow to the brain and this, this circulation will improve the nutrient and energy slash oxygen flow to the brain. I don't have enough experience with any specific brand or product to really give advice on it. But what I do know is that caffeine can definitely have a lot of these positive benefits. This podcast wouldn't be complete without talking about psychedelics. So let's go back to that analogy about the ski tracks in the winter. Imagine you have all of those tracks in your brain. Those patterns are ingrained. The thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are set in stone, and you've been practicing the same things for many years. Now imagine there is a two-foot fresh snowfall, and that fresh powder is filling in those tracks. This is what psychedelics do to the brain. Substances such as ketamine, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, and more create a window of time where the brain is more malleable and has the ability to change much more than normal. These new patterns of thought, emotion, and behavior can much more easily be established during that time. I will be doing a full episode in the future on psychedelics to go into greater depth about what these do to the brain and and how they could be leveraged for neuroplasticity and movement fluidity. The main takeaways to change your brain and improve neuroplasticity from today's episode, I will leave in the description below, but I will also mention it here. First, you want to increase the blood flow throughout your week with aerobic exercise. You want to get that heart rate up as close to your max as you can at least one time a week. And this is going to stimulate that blood flow to the areas of the brain that will allow for improved memory. You also want to practice mindfulness throughout the day. You can do this by focusing on your breath and staying in the moment. And to piggyback on top of this, you want to become alert and focused when it is time to learn. Use as much repetition as you can and don't shy away from the failures. And then flip that switch on your nervous system to rest and make these connections stick in your brain. Finally, I want to say that the number one thing that has helped me with changing how my brain and body and the neural connections work is to get out of your comfort zone and to experience new things. 
it's so easy to get stuck in these ruts of movement and thought patterns. But when you have friends or just the general drive to get out of your comfort zone, you never know to the extent of which drastic changes can occur. A couple books that I have read about neuroplasticity that I would recommend to anybody are The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Doige and also Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I will also leave these in the description below. I thank everybody for listening and I would love some feedback. You can listen on Apple Music, Anchor FM, or Spotify now. And if you have any feedback, please leave a review or send me a message and tell me what I can work on. If you enjoyed today, share this with a friend or two. And if any of these actionable tools work for helping you learn a new motor skill or learn anything, let me know. I would love to hear that this platform is helping people. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you next time.